what do you believe the role of technology is in the future of human creativity? Do you ever wish life had an undo button? Walking the balance between business and the creative life can be hard. But Matt and Shelby are here to attempt to answer the tough questions, so you don't need an undo. Presented by Made by Things, this is the Command Z Show. And welcome back to episode 3024 of the Command Z Show. That's not true at all. I... That sounds right. I think that's about it. <laughs> sort of feels like sometimes, but uh, today's show, and I know I say this often, but we have a very special guest. And um, But before we go there, Shelby, how you doing? I'm doing just fine. Um, if you hear anything, if I'm nasally, I have allergies. So don't worry about me. I'm okay. But I do have allergies. So there's my there's my caveat of the day. Nice. So. Uh, Shelby, you, you did a presentation of some kind. I did. Last uh, night. What was that? My, my feature, uh, Between the Lines, premiered last night. And then I also taught a class at my, my undergraduate school. Yeah, we had a we had a video call yesterday, and you see her her name on all of these little posters in the background. It was crazy. Matt was Matt was in a very different world um, I, yesterday, in, in a little office space full of movie posters. So, <laughs> yeah, it was it was fun. I got a little tour. Anyway, let's let's not keep our our guest waiting here, Shelby. I know I'm, I'm distracting. <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> uh, anyway. <clears throat> So uh, our guest today is uh, a friend of mine, somebody that uh, I've learned a lot from without them actually knowing about it. But uh, CJ, go ahead and let's hear a little introduction from from you on on who you are. Oh, man. Hi, everyone. First of all, uh, Shelby, you you made a feature. I did, yep. Like a feature uh, movie. A full feature film, yep. Wow. (laughs) And with real people acting or or animation oh yeah or? yep full, okay. full human beings you guys have an animation <laughs> studio and everything so i wasn't sure but that's a huge undertaking congratulations on that thank you that's amazing shelby that's shelby really, stays really pretty cool. busy outside of outside of work and, and in work <laughs> yeah during the day she does nothing but <laughs> that's all well, that, the time. that is that is no small undertaking at all so congratulations thank you yeah. thank you so much so my name is CJ. I'm a I'm a friend of Matt and a new friend, hopefully, of Shelby. Maybe after an hour, you're like, you know what? Don't really like this guy. I'm not going to be friends, <laughs> which is fine. That's cool. Um, but uh, you wouldn't be the first, you know. But uh, uh, I'm a, a writer. I own a, a small little boutique production company and messaging studio called Reculture. And we have a lot of fun uh, working on messaging and production projects, if you would imagine, like the name says. Uh, and we uh, we work with um, uh, everyone from uh, health technology to uh, education and learning and um, family entertainment. So um, some of the stuff that we do is just a completely original series that we sort of own and license out. And then some of the stuff we do is total uh, i know it's a business podcast so it's like it's just uh it's you know total just services and uh, we come in and, and and help uh you know other organizations figure out who they are and then how to explain it uh to the people that that matter most to them 
in a really interesting and hopefully a creative way. That's what we aim to do. Uh, so that's a little bit about reculture. That's a little bit about me uh, on the personal side. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. got two kids. Uh, live in Columbus, Ohio. And, um, yeah, just uh, thankful for every day that I get to do something uh, a little bit weird, a little bit interesting, and uh, a little outside the box. So that's that's a, uh, and I'm certainly I'm certainly uh, living up to that <laughs> that goal. Uh, this year, we're doing a lot of fun projects that have my head swimming right now. But um, uh, yeah, we're doing we're doing some really fun stuff. So thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, um, I feel like you skipped some stuff there. <laughs> uh, you were always working on um, big projects. Right, I don't think these are any like small kinds of projects. You know, there's um, big projects and small projects and in between projects, and we seem to get them all. <laughs> yeah, uh, one of the, one of the things uh, how I came to know who you are is from your your first book, Get Weird, and right. we're gonna we're gonna get into that for sure. <laughs> um, but basically, how we'll do this here is. Um, I have one simple question to ask you, and we're going to have a pretty long conversation from that, I'm sure. Um, But those are some of the things that I want to touch on is just some of those projects that that you work on and especially um, your first book. And then you have another book coming out soon. So uh, the question that I have that I think that you are best suited to answer (laughs) or at least to have a good conversation here is great. Yeah. (laughs) what do you believe the role of technology is in the future of human creativity? Oh, well, yeah, you, you've come to the expert. Um, <laughs> just kidding. I think we're all trying to answer that as a human race right. Uh, right now. The role of, I think the role of technology in the future of, of, of human creativity, that's a great prompt, great question, by the way. I think it's one of the the biggest questions in, in all seriousness that we could be answering right now, but is how to how to use technology as an aid versus it using us <laughs> as an aid. Um and I think it's just that it's that nuanced distinction. So let's go into some of the details of this. So things like, like AI and we're seeing chat GPT, whatever it's called. I can't remember the exact acronym there. I'm so sorry if yeah. I messed that up, but, uh, You're are right, you GPT, pro? Yeah. Are you pro or are you con? I'm pro. Yeah, I'm definitely pro. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that you can't, you can't stop technology from progressing i mean you can but i don't think that i I don't think we're ever going to see a society where that happens i think there's a a danger to that happening i think again understanding how and why these certain technologies should be used versus creating them and just letting them run loose into the world and de- uh, centralizing and deregulating everything is something I am am not for. And again, I think it's a nuanced distinction. I think we're so polarized in every ideology as a uh, a, a global sphere right now 
And technology is the polarizing topic that gets talked about least. But if we can get a handle on that issue, I think a lot of other issues that we're polarized about will happen to not necessarily fall into place, but at least be easier to find common ground on. Right. I think for me, it's, I kind of go back and forth on like, is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? Like I'll see certain use cases where I'm like, oh wow, that's, that's brilliant. Like that's, that's how we should be using this stuff. But then, you know, even this morning I was just reading an article about how I think they were saying something like there's 300 books released on Amazon that chat GPT is credited as an author or a part, (laughs) a co-author basically. Um, So what about like stuff like that? Like, is there a line that you draw? As a, as a co-author on something? I don't think, um, I don't think something that is automated should be considered an author. I think that is as specific to a human, but we need to redefine what an author actually means, or maybe not even redefine it, but go back to some of the original definitions. And so I think a lot of the issues that we have as technology continues to progress are issues of language. They're semiotic issues. They're issues of of defining what we mean when we say a certain thing. And so it's one thing to use chat GPT or technology as a tool, as an editing tool, as a research tool. It's another thing to say, look, this did the hard work for me of thinking critically about something. So I don't have to do that. I think we get into dangerous territory when we, again, when we don't know, when we haven't distinguished what we're using a technology for um, versus what we're not. Right. So I guess during this kind of period of time, we have to clear our throat and then uh, (laughs) continue on. Um, We have people that um, that maybe don't have certain creative. Let me let me creative skill sets, we'll say that all of a sudden now they're being um, everything's unlocked for them. And they're able to create visuals within seconds of just typing in a few things. Or, again, they're able to get the help of writing novels and blog posts. Um, Do you think that that is an issue at all? Like, do you think that is is that something concerning or do you think that that's a a great part about this? I don't think it's it's great and I don't think it's necessarily concerning either we've already sort of hit the tipping point of how ubiquitous content has become. Like, even if you look at, I saw the other day how Meta is unrolling their own checkmark influencer program. Right. And you can see just the evolution or de-evolution of what it actually means to have a check mark and to be an influencer and to sort of be set aside from things now you can you can pay for it you can you can sort of control it yourself we're decentralizing everything and we're entering into a season of our you know of our culture where 
um, it's going to be harder and harder to identify the uniquely creative stuff that causes us to think critically, to reimagine what it means um, to be a, a conscious being on the face of this planet. And I think that's actually a really good thing because right now it's a little bit murky. You have all of these people who are working really, really hard and and, and, uh, giving their life's work to these art forms and they're getting lost in sort of a sea of just algorithm-controlled content. So if we just fill up that sea entirely, which is what a lot of automated stuff is going to do, Great. Now let's, artists will always sort of find a new frontier to go play in and to go create. And, and so it's, it's forcing that, it's forcing artists to, to, to find that new frontier faster. And so it will also, I think, continue to distinguish the difference between entertainment, content, probably content's the best word for it. Let me say that again. It's also going to distinguish the difference between content and creative art, mm-hmm. creative thinking. You can create content, right? You can create graphics that look like the top 10 commercials that were aired on the Super Bowl. That's going to get easier and easier and easier, and there's going to be a market for that. And guess what? It's going, it's going to be very cheap. Um, finding people who need and want and desire something that's completely unique, completely original, that's made by humans for humans, that's going to become more scarce and more rare. And I think it will help distinguish that group of creators uh, a lot more, which I think is actually a good thing. Yeah. Do you think that when people create something with the help of AI, they should... um, they should have to give that credit to AI? Should it be transparent? Or do you think that... So I feel like I'm really grilling you right now. I'm just... Yeah, I mean, I, and, and by the way, just the caveat is, is I'm wrestling through all of these questions right, right, right. right now, and these right. are just my opinions. Yeah. I don't... I. I th- yeah, absolutely. I would say it depends on the it depends on the the prompt, right? It depends on the on the circumstance. Right. Like one of the biggest examples is what are what what is education going to do with AI with Chat GPT? And and really the the bigger issue that not a lot of people want to talk about is why are we why are we teaching students in a way that forces them to write something that a computer could easily come up with right and so right. this becomes a question of what are we teaching what are we wanting students to learn if we want students to do something and create something that a computer could easily just spit out itself then congratulations we're we're there and we shouldn't be upset when right. they found a way to do that if we're wanting a different outcome out of our students, then all of a sudden that problem is solved. We can say, yeah, use GPT 
as a research tool. Credit it the way you would credit any other research tool. Now, tell me something I don't know. Tell me something a computer can't tell me. Where is that extra layer of insight? And that, unfortunately, with our industrial education complex, is sorely missing from the curriculum. It's getting better, and there's great people working to do incredible things. But that is the shift that needs to that needs to get made. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, to go, to go back to that again, like, no, I'm not trying to grill you. Like these are, these are things like, these are real questions that I keep asking myself. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I have like a strong opinion on some of these things. Um, I know that there are certainly people out there that are heavily against every use of AI because they believe that it is <clears throat> probably making us less creative and, it's it's devaluing the work that we do. But I, I think what I'm hearing you say is like, well, we've sort of been devaluing because it's just maybe that sounds bad, but like we've sort of been devaluing the work that we do for centuries now. Like, you know, whenever we stopped using a printing press, like whenever we started using a printing press, like all of these different things that we've done, we've always kind of found more creative ways to or maybe more efficient ways is what I'm looking for to be able to do those things it does take a high level of creativity to be able to create these new platforms I guess we can call them um yeah content's going to get cheaper and easier to make culture's going to get harder to make I'm really interested in helping people create culture right but then how do content, I, that, I think it's a, it's a really good point. I think right now um, it's much easier to place a monetary value on content than it is culture. So I think this is another thing that a lot of people are worried about is that it's, it's going to steal their job, right? Another thing that everybody's always been worried about is people taking their jobs. Yeah. I think I think that's going to happen. I think it's 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 going to get easier. I think to in, in yes, it's it's easy to place a monetary value on content right now, and it may be a little bit more ambiguous to put a a monetary value on culture. But there's also something else that's happening in tandem with this shifting technology in AI. We have people who are dehumanizing themselves all over the place. And we're dealing with the fallout from that, right? We have nurses and teachers and frontline workers, uh, white-collar employees, blue-collar employees, burning out left and right. There's, uh, we, we had a, a great worker shortage that we're still sort of dealing with. Um, people are, are, are to, to, to take it even to a darker place, people are, are, are taking their lives over not underst- not not being able to uh, reconcile the fact that they are a, a flesh and blood human in an increasingly automated, personal branded <laughs> society in the world. So that's happening. So all of a sudden, we're now entering into a phase of society where more than ever we need people who can, from a professional standpoint, remind us what it means 
to be human. Remind us of the importance of being an ordinary flesh and blood human being. Or else we're gonna, there's going to be a bigger issue, right? We're going to have a, <laughs> kind of the downfall of society. But you're going to see the role of the artist sort of blend with the role of the HR director, right? There's this, and, and that's going to become rare. Yes, content and, G, and GPT and graphic design and all of that stuff, that's, that's going to get easier and cheaper and offshore. It already has, it's, it's, you know, it, it right. already has for uh, you know, the, the past several years, to your point. Like, we've been devaluing it for a really long time. What I think will increase in value is those who can use the humanities to remind us what it means to be human for the sake of our own human flourishing. And that's, again, to your point correctly, for years that's been, ah, we'll think about, yeah, let's get somebody to, like, you know, draw a mural on the, uh, the you know, right. by the <laughs> ping pong table in the, in the, the, the yep. HQ. Now that's actually, <laughs> that role is going to be elevated uh, because we're going to desperately, desperately need it. That's interesting. Shelby, any thoughts there? Yeah, I was thinking a lot about um, the industrialization of art in this. And um, I think this is a very interesting conversation because, I mean, we can go all the way back to, to the Renaissance. And, I mean, we were, that was the printing press and the the accessibility of art, being able to, I mean, really the first brand films were, you know, being able to put biblical stories on the sides mm. of walls. I mean, that's it's kind of the start of the commercial process, the commercialization of art. Um, and I think that we're just seeing a new form of that. And I think if we use it in the right way, it can make art more accessible to people um, that may not have had the opportunity to have the same training or the same background um, to be able to come become great artists. But it depends on how we use it. Um, you know, if we just, you know, we fire everybody, we get rid of everyone, obviously we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, but I don't think that that's the future because it's not, it doesn't serve the, the arts. And I think artists will push back on that. And no matter what, you're still going to have people that need to be able to paint the murals that need to be able to set the stories up in the first place. I mean, we're constantly creating new mythos, new ways to create art. And this is just, I think this just comes as a bouncing off point of how do we use this new age of commercial industrialized art to be able to create something new? How do we innovate upon this? I think you're right. And I, I think I think pushing back, though, needs to not look like folding our arms, putting our heads in the sand and going, I can't believe they're coming for our jobs. Pushing back means finding new ways to tell the truth, to to awaken us to what it means to be an ordinary human in the 21st century. Um, and I think that is always going to be uh, a scarce and rare commodity that is, is, is desperately needed uh, for us to flourish. If you, look, if you look at any point in history, every time there is um, a plague that happens, there's some sort of cultural renaissance that happens afterwards, and I think we're, we're in, that, in that zone you know, right now. That's very interesting to think about. Hmm. Um, I guess the, the thing that I think about a lot is, you know, we, we've seen the automation happening inside of, like, manufacturing and just more industry-related things like that. And in in one way, I'm like, well, 
a lot of those people just never really liked doing those things. And that's why, like, to me, I'm like, well, this is why this is weird is because, like, now it feels like our creativity is sort of under attack a little bit, but nobody ever said they didn't want to do this. So I guess to me, that's that's something else that I think about. Uh, is that something you ever think about, CJ, or am I, am I thinking about that all wrong? Well, no, I don't think you are, but I just I just don't think creativity is is under attack. I think I think doing something without thinking really hard about it <laughs> mm-hmm. is under attack. Right. Not being right. able to show your work is under attack. If you look at kind of the the I, I always like kind of talking about Squarespace and WordPress and sort of the the early stages of the internet to what it is now. As an example, like when the internet was first sort of being populated, you had all of these coders who who really understood the craft of of coding and they created these really interesting worlds where people could blog and write and exchange ideas. It looked more like a garden. Now, all of a sudden, and I forget if it was like a movable type. That's right, movable type came along and it was sort of the first way that that the internet got templated. And so what did you start to see? Well, WordPress sites and Squarespace sites where all of a sudden the picture had to be right here and the button had to be orange and it had to be shaped like a pill and it had to be right there and it needed to say right. every every other, every button needed to say learn more. And what happened to Shelby's point is the industrialization of the internet, of content creation. Everybody had a blog that needed to look like this. Um, this is not my idea, uh, but I, I reference it in the, in the new book, but somebody talks about how you have this this highly editable framework called the internet and yet we've sort of published blogs and articles in a way where we we you know architected it in a way where like you're not no one really edits their blogs no one really uh, once it's there, it's done. It's like wait, you have this technology where you can kind of continue to sort of learn and grow and edit and you know reframe your ideas. And again, this is where I taught. This is this is why I'm so passionate about the reality that if we can get the way we handle and use technology right, we can start to unravel some of the other polariz- polarization going on. Because if we're not married, if we treat the internet like a place where we're curating and curious about our ideas versus this is my manifesto, this is my line in the sand, and you know no one shall ever challenge it. If we treat it more like a garden where we're cultivating and we're pruning and we're sharing the bounty of what we've developed with other people, well, that creates a different kind of humanity. That creates a different kind of society over time, not someone that's so, not a society that's so uh, in- attached and guarded um, when it comes to the preservation of their personal brand and a society that's more interested in being wrong and why they're on figuring out why they're wrong so that they can eventually become enlightened. We need a, we need a digital enlightenment. And so in order to have a digital enlightenment, you are, you're always going to need template breakers, right? People who are going to go, you know, I don't want my Squarespace site to look like every other damn Squarespace site Right. Out there, I don't care, and and honestly, there's there's reasons for the button to go there, and if, if that's your goal, if your goal is to sell a product and to um, be a cog in, and I know that sounds bad, but it's not like to be a cog in the in the, in the industrial uh, internet. Like 
fine. I, again, I, I know what I'm kind of who who wants to be a cog, but honestly, there's there's a lot of value to having a job and having a business and fitting into that. But if you want to be truly creative, a, a boundary pusher, a template breaker, that option's always going to be there for you. It's just going to take a lot of work and a lot of sacrifice, which has always been the give and take, the the sacrifice, or excuse me, it's always going to be the give and take of the true artist, of the true creator. Right. I guess the, the thing that, that another thing that I think about, I guess, is, you know, let's say we fast forward 50 years from now. Um, at that point now, everybody has this ability to, again, create content of some kind of or another, right? Um, at that point, it becomes incredibly saturated. Mm-hmm. That even if people are like, you know what, I have a story that I want to tell, a personal story of my own, something that happened for my life. This is a thing that um, that means something to me. And somebody's really putting themselves out there. They're, you know, creating art, right? This is part of part of their culture. But fifty years from now, how do we tell the difference? And how how can we possibly value this thing differently or more if we can't tell the difference? Does that make sense at all? I'm not sure if that was really a question, but <laughs> keep 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 going on that. I think I, I sort of get it. But um, I guess this idea of like, okay, if every everybody in the I mean, at that point, 50 years from now, I don't know, we probably have 400 million plus people in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's say we have, I mean, at least half of those people. So 200 million people are now artists, right? Um, are now creating stuff with the help of things like AI. Could be books, could be drawings just artwork in general right so we have these people that are that are making stuff without putting a whole lot of work into it but then we have another group of people that are like you know what i need to write this story and this is something that's very meaningful and powerful to me um i you know i think about your your book especially your Mm -hmm. book was that to me when i read that that was a journal entry from you about where you were at this time and things that are on your mind and Hmm. working through different things Mm -hmm. and to me i place a higher value on stuff like that than i would just somebody typing into a chat box that says like write me a story about uh me wondering about things yeah yeah i don't i and and again i could be super naive about this i'm just sort of thinking out loud as this is happening pretty much in real time, but I don't right. think there's going to be a lot of imposters. Like I don't like we have Wikipedia and my kids don't have like a bookshelf full of encyclopedia Britannica anymore where I grew up with that. Right. But it's mm-hmm. not like there's a whole group of people out there trying to print off all of the information on Wikipedia and turn it into a hardcover book that they're selling for, you know, 99 bucks. Right via an infomercial anymore. So I don't I, I think there's gonna be what you can easily access and generate instantly and the journal entries, right? And the insight and the poetry um that can only come from 
a, a human being in, in the same way that that you have Spotify and we're almost paralyzed by all of the options out there and there's a there's a demographic that still loves the reverence and the meditative meditative practice of listening to a singular album on on vinyl yes that's not the that's not the number one that's not the number one way that we listen to music anymore that's not the industrialized way but that experience has gotten more expensive and if you can break into that market and do something interesting as uh the vinyl club has done you know drew holcomb has done uh as a lot of um folks who are recreating turntables and technology for audio files is done that's a very lucrative space to be in because you've found a tribe you've curated the group of people that wants a more human experience wants a more meditative experience um there's something about going to a, a movie theater shelby and seeing your work displayed on a big screen yes that's not we can we can get really really frustrated about how that's going away and that's dying, or we can say, "Look, this is the way I designed this to be experienced this way. Come join me, and let me show you why this is a more enjoyable experience." Like there's there's just two attitudes we can bring to this conversation. Right. One is I'm going to zig where everybody else is zagging. Find my people probably charge a premium for it once they understand how great it is or i could go shoot i was trying to be a spotify artist and now i can't get my music there. and i'm not saying it's not hard i struggle with this right it's diff it's very difficult it's right. like that's 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 why it's like you know but but you just look at every artist and you know throughout history it's like you don't very often you don't get a shot at at a deciding whether you're going to blow up and be an influencer with millions of <laughs> subscribers and followers uh maybe we're long dead and someone actually figures out oh that that person actually did something really interesting i mean i look at guys like van gogh right like right. they just were tortured you know by just looking for a piece of bread to, to sustain them so they could go paint the fields but that is the sacrifice and to go back to an earlier question that you asked as long as we keep teaching, I would say keep teaching because we're not teaching. As long as we teach our students that distinction, that look, you're not making art right now. You're curating stuff right. around the internet that other people created. This is what it means to actually go and create something. As long as we don't confuse the two and say, oh, look, Johnny made a book. Great, because he right. plugged a couple of questions in. Or he made a wonderful piece of artwork because that if we cannot do that. I'm afraid that's the next evolution of what we've sort of been doing uh, to millennials and Gen Z, which I'm, I'm a millennial myself, so I, I put myself as part of, the, you know, part of the problem. We've been doing that for the past couple of decades, and we've seen sort of the, the unfortunate results of that. Again, this is a question of definitions and language. What you're doing is not art. Maybe good, but art is something mm-hmm. that's different. This is what art is. Right. I that's I think that's how you say that perfectly. And I think that's that's always been my thing is like, well, I can't really call that art, but it is. It's curation. Um yeah. and there's there's Not nothing the wrong with that. No. Um but that's I guess in those in those early days, I mean, it was probably like a year ago or so. 
I posted something on LinkedIn that was like, actually it was probably like six months ago. Um, and I was like, oh my God, like I just typed in like colorful black hole with astronaut falling into it because that's like something a client was asking for. I'm like, I don't, I cannot visualize this for the life of me. And I typed this in, I'm like, wow, like that, that's incredible. Like now I have a perspective of some kind and like, no, I, I, I don't want to like use that directly necessarily, but like that was all I needed. And then I'm like, yeah, I got it now. But I posted that on LinkedIn and people are like, wow, that's super cool. Like, nice job. Stuff like that. I'm like, wait, wait, like, are you com- complimenting me on this? Like, I, <laughs> I don't right. know how that's, that's different. Like, I can't really accept that. <laughs> like, I didn't, I didn't make this. I just typed in a thing. <clears throat> And, um, but I, I think that's, that's what I would love to see this get to is like, yes, I think it's a really important tool, but I think it could be dangerous depending on how we sort of, in a way, maybe I'm just kind of thinking about it too much because literally my identity is wrapped up in being a maker. Yeah. And I, from being a kid, it was, you know. I was 10, 12 years old when I knew I wanted to create stuff for a living. There was only one path that I've ever gone down. And it was like, I, I want to make stuff. I wanted to make videos. I wanted to draw. I wanted to animate stuff. Yeah. Um, so n- now, and I think that this is why a lot of people are really concerned about this and a little bit angry, is because it's almost an attack on people's identity. Um, and... I just, I think it's going to be, it's going to be really hard for a lot of people to detach themselves from the thing that they've done most of their lives. But it's not something new, like this, that, that concept of, you know, people being older and all of a sudden that thing that they did being taken away. Again, especially when it comes to things like manufacturing, like my, my dad, for instance, worked the same job for 35 years. He's 56 or so. And yeah. gets let go of from his job. Yeah. Well, what's he supposed to do now? Like his whole identity was wrapped up in in being that. Like he could try to go get another job somewhere, but they're doing the same thing. They're right. reducing those positions, having younger people fill them, machines do them. Um. I mean, it turns out he hated his job, so it wasn't really the worst <laughs> thing. <laughs> but you know, I I think about those things. Like it's going to be hard for a lot of people. Um. And it, it seems like it's probably, I don't, I don't know how far away we are, but maybe five to 10 years out from there being, I don't know, something catastrophic that sort of happens. I, I guess I use that word because it, I mean, it has a negative meaning, but in this way, I'm not sure if it does or doesn't. But anyway, something catastrophic happens in the industry and it just shifts everything. Do you think that that's a, a the wrong way to look at it or do you think that that's <laughs> or do you do you think i'm being crazy whenever i say that or do you think that that's no accurate? i i think i mean i think that anybody who is not thinking through the ramifications of automation from a geopolitical and societal perspective is crazy. However, the unfortunate part of that statement is doesn't seem like most people who are being elected are thinking through 
<laughs> the geopolitical ramifications of automation. <laughs> um, so, yes, to your point, I agree. I think something's going to happen quite soon that's a very big, oh, expletive, you know, moment. I do. I think that's somewhat of a separate issue from the humanities, which is really what we're talking about, you know, pictures and words, show and tell, being automated through the curation of really stuff that's created by humans, right? I mean, it's like you look at what what is – and I forget what it's called. Uh, It's not chat GPT. GPT, but what's the visual one again? There's a few of those. There's one. Right, journey, like, there's... yeah, like, that. all that's doing is curating stuff that other people have made. And, and mm-hmm. so, so we're all, we all can't escape the fact that we're all remixes somehow, right? We're remixes right. of our parents. Uh, everything, you know, we, we like to go around as artists and say, oh, we're so, super original. It's like, but we're we're pulling ideas from, from every, and even when we don't realize that we're doing that. And so... Right. Again, if we use it as a tool to go, oh, this is great, you know, um, th- uh, th- you're astronaut-like. That, that actually gives me a perspective, and I'm, I'm grateful if you could find a way to sort of gratefully, you know, thank everybody who <laughs> participated <Right>. in that, <laughs> whether it's just in your own heart or, you know, uh, ha- however yeah. that is. I, I think that's fine. I think I, I would ask the question to any sort of industry personnel that wants – something created by a robot versus a human, what the purpose of graphic design is to them. Because if it's to plug in a template, if it's to fill a hole, great. That's going to get really easy. Yep. And for anybody who, I mean, this is the, this is the stuff that scares me. That probably scares you. That should scare everybody. It, it, it absolutely does because I don't even feel like the most. I, I'm I'm like, I'm a generalist if I am anything, right? And I don't I don't, I, I don't feel super creative compared to some of my friends who are like, oh man, you could just compose the heck out of this thing. I I'm I'm, I'm a generalist, but the the thing that should scare us is that are we <laughs> like are we doing some are we creating things that can't simply be templated out? And if we're not, where do we have to shift so that we we are? And that's really hard work. And, it, and again, I think that's that's why I can't. That's why I got to kind of have to divorce the creative conversation from like guys like your dad, right. because that's just a bigger issue of education of like of industry. But like with, with you just have to go all the way back to like, what's the purpose of graphic design? What's the purpose of writing? What's the purpose of, you know, these things we're not, we're not dealing with, you know, steel and construction and infrastructure. We're dealing with the stuff that humanity has figured out how to do since the dawn of civilization that reminds us what it means to have consciousness. And so, if you want to create a graphic that's automated, good on you. I wouldn't expect it to have the same sort of call to action or effect as something made by a human being who put the blood, sweat, and tears into that. And if that's not your end goal, if you want something just to fill a hole so that you can sell a widget, great. Honestly, that's why I'm kind of excited. Like, great, let's like just 
cool. Let's get that out of the way, and then let's save the real art for people who are struggling and <laughs> trying to figure out how to zig where everybody else is zagging. I know that's a very optimistic, rose-colored glasses way to look at it. Um, and it, again, scares the heck out of me because I don't know if I can actually level up to that. But I feel like that's the conversation good artists always need to think through. How do I level up right. to the point where I'm not templated? No, I think that's a great point. That's something that it's, it's something that I see a lot in the industry, especially by young people. I'm like, okay, like yeah, you made this thing. Well, first of all, like anybody that knows like after effects can make this thing move like you just did. Like, so it's not like this big feat or anything like that, but I guess that's kind of what happened when it comes to manufacturing too, is that it starts at the bottom and works its way up essentially is like, all right, like how can we make that better, faster, more efficient? Um, but like that's, I, that's kind of the argument that I've always had against Fiverr. Where I'm like, oh, yeah. you know what? If somebody can charge $5 to do what I do, then they deserve whatever. Yeah. And I don't I don't deserve to charge whatever I do. Like I'm not I'm not offering anything more than that. So like that's I guess that's why I say like good on good on them for being able to do that. If they want to starve and have crackers for dinner like <laughs> okay. But um so I think it's kind of on us to figure out like okay, well how do we get out of that lower level that lower tier of quality and if we can't get out of there then that's kind of the inevitability is right like i don't know we are going to be replaced and i hope that doesn't offend anybody (laughs) but no but there might and and honestly you know we can have have empathy for the, the the people who are on fiverr trying to make a living doing that and the 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 clientele that wants to that, that can only that can only spend that like i i right. the, the market is big there's a lot of people in the world and so i think figuring out who you're for versus who you're not right. is a really and it seems like you've done that really really just from a distance it seems like you've done that really well with made by things and going this is this is the kind of customer we're targeting and, and yeah, we're not making something that you can go find on creativemarket.com. We're walking our clients through this really unique storytelling process and giving them something right. super bespoke. That's very apparent. And again, I just don't like let let you exist and let the guy who's like, Okay, yeah, you got a you got a bagel shop? Cool. I'll give you five uh <laughs> you know, five different logos with the bees as, you know, you know, you, right. you want the bee as two sesame bagels, two poppy bagels, two everything bagels. <laughs> Great. That, that'll be $5. Fine. Like, <laughs> yeah. And that guy might be paying yeah. that, that uh, young uh, man, woman per- person might, might be paying their way through college, you know, doing that and, and may right. end up in your shoes one day. I, I think there's, there's room for, for everyone here, but right. we, the, the, the thing that is dangerous is when we don't know the difference between certain things what is what right. you know we don't have a category for each of those we need a little bit of more order when it comes to this stuff right. Shelby I think but, you wanted to say something I'm sorry oh, gotcha. yeah I'm gonna hop in because I, this is a conversation I think that's been occurring over and over and over again throughout all, all of history um, I'm reminded a lot of when photography first became introduced into the the general market because painters thought that they were going to lose their jobs they thought, we're not going to be able to paint anymore. They're just hmm. going to take a photo, and that's going to be it. And 
portraits were replaced for the most part, except for the the uber wealthy, which were really the only ones that were affording portraits in the first place. Yeah. So painters thought they were going to be replaced. When cinema happened, cinema was just a, a sideshow attraction for, you know, variety shows, vaudeville. But the moment they thought it could be commercialized, that's when it hit. Studio no. systems grew up, and now we're back to trying to break down studio systems because there isn't this no, there's nostalgia. There is mm-hmm. a certain value to nostalgia that people forget about, I think. Yeah. And I think we're going to see that again because even if we want to talk about digital art, there was a lot of pushback against digital art when, you know, all of a sudden we realized, you know, you want to change the color on something. You don't have to repaint it. You can completely right. change the color. So what is that definition of art when you don't have to completely repaint something? We're constantly evolving what our definition of art is. And I think we're just going to see that again. We're yeah. going to see that new opportunity of what is this definition of art? What is the nostalgia that we still want to hold on to? No one's going to really be replaced, but it is going to be something very different. I mean, when people said that photography was going to replace everyone and cinema was going to replace, you know, hands-on artists, all of a sudden those artists became backdrop painters or storyboard artists. It created a new wave of jobs and opportunities for artists that may have just been portrait painters, you yeah. know, a hundred years ago. So I, I think that there's there's a new opportunity to define art and what our place is within it. And it's just a conversation that we keep having every 50 years. That's good. That's really good. There's a guy named Marshall McLuhan, uh, who, if you're not familiar with, uh, he's a, a media theorist from like the 50s and 60s. His grandson, who runs the McLuhan Institute now, um, he actually wrote the foreword to the, the, the book that is coming out in a couple of months um, that I wrote. And uh, this guy, uh, Marshall, from just go YouTube him, read him. It's wild. This guy was like, he was a, he was a, a theorist. He was a media theorist and, and really kind of a prophet. Like he would, you'll, you'll read a line from a book that he wrote in 1962 or whatever. And you're like, or an article or, you know, from a magazine and be like, oh my gosh, she's talking about Twitter. Like Twitter won't exist for another 50 years, but this guy is like understanding where this is all going. And I think he had a really great countenance in the way that he talked about the future of media and the future of technology. It wasn't damning, but it was cautious. It wasn't um, head in the sand, but it was, we should probably have more conversations about how we're using this stuff than we're, than we're having. And, and again, that's my biggest concern is not that it exists or it doesn't exist. It's that there's a general agreement around the boundaries and parameters. So there isn't confusion. That's what happened with, uh, web 2.0 and the internet and now you have it going to the supreme court where it's like well what you know what are some of these restrictions and whether there wasn't there, there there weren't people who had power and authority sitting down and having really really tough conversations about how this would fold out and how this would manifest and and now we're dealing with the unbelievable backlash of that let's not do that for the future of the internet. Let's not do that for our kids. This is not, again, uh, I'm getting on my, my, my dad, you know, my dad high horse here, but it's, it's not that manufacturing wasn't incredibly important. It, it is it, you know, millions of jobs, but we're not talking about, I, I like to, to compare it to the tobacco crisis, right? Like obviously that killed people. Um, and that was, uh, it was horrible, but that still was like a very ancillary 
sort of recreational uh, part of our society. What we're dealing with is the way we talk with each other and communicate with each other and share information. Like that is our society. And what we've done is we've completely deregulated that and say, you know what would be a really good idea? Let's let a couple of guys with like lots of you know money in a completely sort of privatized environment just run the gamut on that stuff. And just let's just, let's just see what happens. And yeah, we'll put like, you know, a couple of very loose bound you know boundaries and guide you know guidelines but uh for the most part let's just let the private sector run it it's not going so well as we can see and there's a difference between censorship and free speech there's a there's a difference between this poll over here and that poll over here we can think better about how media and technology is advancing we just need the will to actually do that we need to vote that way we need to congregate around the, those ideas. We need to do it on a micro level. We need to set up our families in a way that have honest and tough and intentional conversations about how we use media technology in our own lives. And uh, we, our education needs to change. This can We can do this. We can emerge into those, those next 50 years that you were talking about of the 21st century and still sort of land the plane, you know, without it blowing up in our faces but we have to, have to, have to get really serious about being intentional about these kinds of conversations and not just sort of letting it happen to us, not just downloading the latest app on our phone just because somebody okay. said, oh, it's, yeah, this is actually pretty fun. 24 hours later, you haven't slept because you're like doom scrolling <laughs> some cat, you know, right. cats like having a picnic or something. I don't know, you know, whatever, but... uh not for I, I don't know anything about that from personal experience, but uh, yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right, so what I want to do now is let's go kind of around the room, final thoughts, and uh, for that final thought, <clears throat> I guess we kind of already talked about this a little bit, but advice that you give for people today, creatives today, to prepare for ten years from now. Build a bunker. That's all I have to say. No. <laughs> um, Build that bunker. So, let's say let's say uh, creatives today for ten years from now to prepare for this the change in the creative world that we have. Um, Shelby, you want to go first? Sure. I would just say learn to be adaptable. Um, don't don't stay too far behind. And, you know, obviously there's the value of nostalgia, vinyls coming back, but vinyls coming back in a very different way. You know, I'm a vinyl collector. I love it. I'm buying another 35 millimeter camera, you know, in another week. So, I mean, we have, you know, we, we want that nostalgia. We, we value it. But there's also a way to be able to push forward and push those boundaries and continue to adapt to the ever-changing, you know, social media and AI and the new the new elements that are that are being introduced. So, I would just say to um, you know take a lot of uh, you know think about your surroundings and where you want to be and the kind of art that you want to create ten years from now, and think about how that might change uh, in the in the coming years. Nice, CJ. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Echo that like. I'm thinking of how I like to go on vacation. Like no one loves the person who's got everything 
totally in a, on an itinerary and you can't ever break that template. But then nobody likes hanging out with people who are like, oh, I don't know what we're going to do today. Like doesn't have a plan. So I always say like when we, you know, travel with family together, like let's make a plan so that it's there and let's have total freedom to break, a, break it whenever we want. And so I think staying adaptable is really, really important. At the same time, work, like have an idea, have a goal of where you want to be what you want to accomplish and work backwards from that, knowing that you're going to have to pivot along the way. And I think the only other thing I would say too, especially now is like, just get out of a dualistic mindset. Like it doesn't have to be either this or that you can have a part of your business, your, your lifestyle, whatever you want to call it, where you are automating certain things for certain customers which allows you the um, availability and the bandwidth to be artistic over here. It doesn't have to be either or. Figure out how to make these shifts in technology work for you. Just make sure you're not being worked to death by those technologies. Nice. And for me, I would say uh, a little bit about, I guess what I was saying a little bit ago, um, is this idea of identity. And I think that what we need to do, and this is so much easier said than done, but we need to find a way to remove certain things from being who we are. And <laughs> again, I know, I know it's so much easier said than done. Cause again, like I, I, I fall into this too. This is something I'm giving myself advice here is like, you know, we are not who, we are not what we do necessarily. And I think that that's the most positive change that is probably on its way is making it so people can just do more about, more of of, of what they want. Like, I think there's still something to the whole 10,000 hours and mastery of certain things. Um, But, you know, nobody's, I think anybody has the ability to be a master at different things. And um, I, I don't know, like I, I still think there's value in becoming an expert in certain software and, and certain technologies and stuff like that, especially when it comes to animation. But at the same time, if your identity is wrapped up in this thing and you are told at some point that you need to adapt or get out of the way, um, it's it's going to feel much more of an opportunity if your identity is not wrapped up in that thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, we're not the images that we project, and that's a very, very difficult thing to understand, especially if you're born into it, if you're a digital native, right? Right. In, a, in an Internet world where you're going, oh, I post, therefore I am. I am this right. avatar. I am this project. And look, everybody likes it. Or worst, people didn't like it. We have to separate ourselves from our personal brands, our right. work that we put right. on the internet. We can't all be gurus. We're ordinary people. And that's actually an extraordinary thing. Artists yeah. help remind us of that. Absolutely. Love that. All right. Uh, final final thing here. CJ, you want, to, you want to talk a little bit about your uh, your book coming out soon? 
I kind of did. <laughs> I kind of like. I mean, <laughs> this was the. I'm just. I'm just kind of regurgitating the stuff I'm talking about in in this book throughout this whole conversation. Um, but the the book is called The Forgotten Art of Being Ordinary: A Human Manifesto in the Age of the Metaverse. And so, it hopefully, it, it it's my it's my really like just humble, again guy who just. I feel like I'm a decent writer and I'm a huge generalist, but it's my humble attempt to sort of stamp out some words that hopefully only a, an ordinary human could write. And I'm hoping that that's actually something that is a value in a world that's increasingly becoming automated. So right, it'll be out in September, a, 2023, Andrew McLuhan, director of the McLuhan Institute wrote a beautiful forward for it. It's got poetry in it. It's got, um, some chapters on uh, everything from, you know, uh, the one chapter is called uh, Senator Cruz and the Robot Muse. And the uh, <laughs> one of the chapters called, uh, you know, A Dove with Claws. So <laughs> nice. it's pretty, pretty spanning. It. And, uh, and also your, your first book is available Amazon? Yep. Yep. Which, Amazon? Yeah. Amazon Get Weird. Just, wanna... just, just yep. type in Get Weird on the internet or Get Weird book and... That's one of the beautiful things about the internet and all the stuff that makes ourselves go crazy. Yep. You could Google something. <laughs> yeah, and, and I can have a whole separate conversation on just uh on that book and how much I loved it. It's definitely oh, in you. my in my top five, top ten, somewhere oh, around there. That's really um it's found just, its people, which is like really said, cool. And it continues to it, find it. Its it has. Yeah. Um and uh I'm I'm glad that I uh, got to meet you and glad that mm. I got to read the book and I honestly feel like I'm a better person for it. And, um, um oh. can't say that about a whole lot of books. All right. Enough of the compliments. It's time to go. <laughs> All right. Uh, to everybody listening, uh, thanks for following along with us, uh, on this little journey of us just kind of having great conversations with people like CJ and, uh, listening to me babble on about whatever the hell I'm thinking about that day. <laughs> And you know what? Thank you, Shelby, for uh, always producing this show and, and getting it going. So, yeah. All right. And uh, to everybody, I love you. Bye. The Comanzi Show is created by Made by Things. And if you have a question you would like us to discuss, you can send a message at cmdz.show. And if you like what you hear, leave a review. We'll see you next week with a brand new show.